Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. The Book of Psalms is a book of poetry, prayers, and songs that people wrote to God, prayed to God, and even used to lead others in the worship of God. The Psalms give us insight into what a relationship with God looks like and examples of how we can pour out our joys, fears, and our heart's desires to God. Join us weekly as we spend the summer in Psalms. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be back here with you to uh, share another message on the Psalms. Uh, I don't know about you, but this series that we've been doing this summer has just been such a blessing to me as we've dived into the Psalms and just allowed our perspective to shift up to understand who God is and how much he loves us and what it means for our life. So uh, unfortunately, the series is coming to an end soon, but I encourage you all to go back and read all the Psalms that we didn't get to cover in this series. Um, But let's just jump into today's topic. Architecture is defined as the art or practice of designing and constructing buildings. Now, unless you've been living in the wilderness your entire life, you are familiar with some type of architecture. And there are a lot of famous, successful examples. You think of like the Empire State Building, the Eiffel Tower, the Burj Khalifa, the uh, Play Place at McDonald's. There's lots of really good examples of architecture out there. But I thought it might be interesting this morning to look at some examples of architecture projects that didn't go so well. You know, one we're all pretty familiar with is the Tower of Pisa, or as it's more accurately known, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And so a few years after laying the foundation in 1173, the tower actually began to sink due to being set in soft subsoil, causing it to tilt. The tower took about another 170 years to finish. And in order to compensate for the tilt, engineers actually had to build the upper floors with one side taller than the other, which actually causes the tower to curve and compensate for the tilt so it doesn't fall over. A more modern example would be the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles, which opened in 2003. Originally, many of the stainless steel panels on the exterior had a mirror-like finish, which was very cool and gave it a very shiny look. Uh, But what the architects did not expect was that the curve of the building combined with the mirror exterior caused the building to reflect the sun's rays into the nearby condos, which caused those apartments to experience an increase in temperature of 15 degrees, and it sent their air conditioning bills through the roof. Uh, So as you can imagine, there were quite a few complaints, and the architects actually had to go back and sand down the panels to make them dull. Uh, One last infamous example is the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Uh, When it was completed in July of 1940, it was spanned over 5,000 feet across the Puget Sound in Washington. Uh, During construction of the bridge, the workers gave it a nickname, Galloping Gertie, because of the way that it swayed in the wind. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big red flag for me already. I wouldn't want to drive on anything described as shaky, let alone galloping. Um, Needless to say, four months later, on November 7th, 1940, this happened. Dawn of a fatal day, and the wind begins to speak with a roar that no man can fail to hear. 
In a 40-mile-an-hour gale, the feather span weaves like a ribbon in a swinging twist that you wouldn't believe possible unless you could see it as you do now. Back out of the danger zone, all stricken spectators are driven to safety as the bridge gyrates like a nightmare high above the river, twisting, turning, curling. The lone motorist is forced to abandon the car. He has but a few minutes in which to save himself. But he saves himself by seconds. structure of steel and concrete can stand such a strain. Steel girders buckle and giant cables snap like puny threads. There it goes! Pretty intense, right? Uh, First of all, those are some extremely brave cameramen for uh, getting even that close. I mean, when I was watching that video the first time, I was just like screaming at that guy to get off the bridge. Um, but thankfully, no human was harmed when the bridge collapsed, so a public tragedy was avoided that day. Uh, but the collapse of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge did leave a lasting scar on at least one man. Leon Moisef was an award-winning suspension bridge engineer He's known for his design work on projects such as the George Washington Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, and even the Golden Gate Bridge. As his first project as lead engineer, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge was supposed to be his best work yet. As he described it in his own words, the most beautiful bridge in the world. Yet on that November day, all of what he worked for collapsed along with that bridge. All the years of studying and planning and construction, his career, his reputation, his dream, and his legacy all came crashing down in just a few minutes in the face of 40 mile per hour winds. Every single one of us are architects in some way or another. We may not build towering skyscrapers or expansive bridges, but we all have a desire to build something meaningful with our lives. Maybe you want to have a successful career or a happy family, be a star athlete or produce art or film. These are good and God-given desires. When he created us, he put us in the garden to work and he commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it by creating culture and cities out of the raw material that he gave us. But once we as humans decided to rebel against God, both our efforts to build and our desires to do so became cursed. You know, for some of us, our dreams are like the Tower of Pisa. They're still standing, but they're definitely leaning in a direction that we didn't intend on when we started building. Or maybe your plans are more like the Disney Concert Hall. You know, they start out really bright and shiny in our minds, but due to the circumstances that we're placed in, we have to dull them down, and they're not as bright and shiny anymore. Or maybe, You've seen the building in your life collapse, like the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, and after being battered by the winds of life, you just feel like you have nothing to show for what you've worked for. And all these feelings of failure 
are exasperated and made worse as everyone else's apparent success is put on display on our social media feeds. It makes us feel too weak, too boring, too small. And I think many of us are left in a place where we're asking ourselves, what should I be doing with my life? How do I build something that matters? As we look at Psalm 127 today, I believe that God has embedded an answer to these questions for us. This is one of two psalms attributed to Solomon, who succeeded his father David as king over Israel. And he was a pretty interesting guy, uh, and actually one of the most successful and influential builders in the Old Testament. See, he's responsible for building the original temple in ancient Jerusalem, as well as not one, but two palaces in that town. Uh, and if you read 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you can see in meticulous detail just how well he designed everything, from where he sourced the materials to the dimensions of all the rooms, where all the decorations were, and what all the furnishings were. I mean, he really documented everything. When I was reading this, I, I noticed there were at least five verses dedicated to how many bronze pomegranates were mounted on the columns at the, at the entrance to the temple. And I was like, I didn't know I needed to know that, but now I do, so thanks, Solomon. Uh, but seriously, I encourage you to go and check out these records because it's pretty impressive just how incredible this temple was. And if, if building the temple and multiple palaces wasn't enough for Solomon's impressive credentials, uh, he's also known as the wisest man in the Old Testament. And I know you're thinking like a lot of old writers, especially in the Old Testament, are considered to be wise, but Solomon both had the blessing and street cred to back it up. In 1 Kings, we see that uh, God's or God gave him the wisdom, and it was described as a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. And there are accounts of kings and queens traveling from all over the world to seek out his advice. So basically, at that time, uh, everyone was following Solomon on Twitter. And uh, thankfully, they uh, thought it was valuable enough to save all his tweets in a, a book called Proverbs, along with a couple of nuggets here in the Psalms. Um, so what does Solomon have to say about building something that lasts? Let's jump in to Psalm 127. He writes, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now, when we read these verses, at least what I notice, Solomon is drawing our attention, our attention to a different direction than we might expect. You see, when we talk about building something meaningful with our lives, usually the question that we tend to ask is, what should I do with my life? And the prevailing message of today is that our purpose follows our passion. If only we can find the right career path or get to the right position in our company or grow the right plants or maybe date the right person or choose the right retirement portfolio, play the right sport, live in the right place, or even build the right ministry, then we will be able to do something that matters. And after we ask the question, what should I do, we're almost equally obsessed with the question, how should I do it? Uh, you know, if you go to a bookstore, you'll see shelves and shelves of books 
with how to self-help, how to do something, how to make more money, how to be more successful, how to do the thing that you want to do, and they're all promising the best method to do so. You know, there's an ever-increasing amount of books, magazines, seminars, podcasts, videos, and life coaches out there who all want to sell us the answers to these questions. And we want to buy them. The self-help industry in 2020 was estimated to be worth over $13 billion. But in these verses in, of this psalm, Solomon isn't giving us any answers to the what or the how. He's trying to direct our attention to the most important question. Not what we should build, not how we should build it, but who are we building on? You see, I think most of us forget to ask that question because we assume the answer whether we realize it or not. I think if we take a real honest look uh, in our hearts on a normal day, the answer to that question that we'll find is me. I'm the one who does the what, and I'm the one who does the how. I am responsible for making my dreams happen, for learning what I need to know, for practicing what I need to practice, for accomplishing what I need to accomplish. I just need to push myself to work harder, faster, longer hours, to be smarter. Or maybe for some of us, there's a different who that we build our lives on. Maybe it's a friend, a boyfriend or girlfriend, a spouse, our family, a political candidate, or some successful guru on the internet. We might think that they are a stronger foundation on which to build our hopes and dreams. But here in Psalm 127, Solomon in his wisdom is crystal clear that there is only one who that matters. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And maybe earlier when I was talking about hopes and dreams, you're just thinking to yourself, I'm not trying to build something special with my life. I'm just trying to maintain and protect what I have now. Solomon says, unless the Lord watches over your city, the guards watch in vain. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're just wondering where your next meal is coming from, or you're just trying to scrape by or make it to the next day. Psalm 127 says, in vain you toil for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. You see, Psalm 127 gives us both the right question and the only answer. In order to build something that lasts, something that matters, we have to address who we are building our life on. And anything built on anything else or anyone else than God, it's vanity. It's worthless. No matter, no matter the what and no matter the how. This is why... Psalm 127 is such a great psalm of ascent. It's part of this group of psalms called the Psalm of Ascent because it draws our focus from ourselves to God and his solid foundation for our lives. Solomon understood this firsthand because even though he was wise, wealthy, and successful, he recognized that every bit of it was from God. We read this when Solomon was crowned king over Israel. He said, now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. 
So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And then we read this when Solomon completed the temple. He said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David and my father. With your mouth, you have promised, and with your hand, you have fulfilled it as it is today. If we were to build something meaningful with our lives, we first must recognize that it starts with God as the only trustworthy person on which to build it. And in these verses, Solomon leaves a great example for doing this. He acknowledges God as the source for the capability for him to produce, and he asks God to produce according to God's will, and then he trusts God throughout the process. The Apostle Paul has, uh, gives us a, a similar model in the New Testament when he writes this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Je- the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. No matter what you're working on, where you live, what your aspirations are, your purpose does not change. He says, do it all in the name of Jesus. And this is a liberating truth. You and I can fulfill our purpose that God has for our lives at any time, in any place, and in any activity. Maybe you're stuck in a terrible job or living in a boring place or you just feel like you're not doing anything important with your life. The beauty of this truth is that you are fulfilling God's purpose for your life as long as you're doing what you're doing in a manner that is worthy of the name of Jesus and that you trust that your loving Father has a plan and provision for you and thank him in all circumstances. But how do we do this practically? How do you live in the name of Jesus? Thankfully, we get a clear answer from Jesus himself. Uh, And Johnny says, remain in me and I also remain in you, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And how do we remain in him? He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And there's our how. Keep God's commands. You see, unlike any other book, God has given us his word as a perfect and living guide for how we build something that matters. Jesus reiterates this in his conclusion to his famous sermon on the mount, where he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
So who do we build our life on? God. And how do we build upon him? By obeying his word and putting it into practice in our lives. And in, to obey, to, in order to obey it and put it into practice, we have to read it. We have to study it. Memorize it. Let it permeate whatever we do, whether in word or deed. Even Solomon was no exception to this truth. Going back to 1 Kings, uh, we read, The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. So through Solomon, I believe God is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, you focus on following me by doing what I've said in my word, and I will fulfill my purpose for you in your life. A few years ago, I was in a place where I was questioning whether I was doing God's will for my life. At the time, I didn't feel a strong passion for what I was doing uh, in my job, and I felt like my secular work wasn't contributing to anything of eternal value. So I I kept asking God, what do you want me to do? You know, show me what you want me to to do in my life. Um, Open doors, uh, you know, give me a sign, anything. Um, But instead of giving me a direct answer to that question, the Holy Spirit brought these verses into my life uh, and challenged me to ask different questions. I, I had to ask myself, does my current attitude and behavior at work reflect the name of Jesus? Am I putting his word into practice in the office? Am I loving my coworkers as myself? Am I working for my human bosses to pay attention to me and reward me, or am I working as if I was reporting to God. And I realized that my lack of purpose didn't come from where I was or what I was doing, uh, but it was because I didn't have the right who or how in place in my life. And God used his word to shift my perspective uh, in my work, and it, it it infused it with purpose again because he helped me to understand that he could use me in any circumstance as long as I trusted him and followed his word. Now, once we have the right who and the right how in place, we can and should turn our attention back to the question, what should I do with my life? Because it's not wrong to want to find and follow our passions. God wired us to be good at things and to enjoy specific things. And it's God honoring to work hard at those things. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than someone doing what they're passionate about, God-given passion, and doing it for him Um, But the question, what should I build with my life, has as many answers as there are people because God wires us each differently. He gives us each unique talents, gifts, and opportunities to build his kingdom here on earth. This is why we created our growth track classes here at Valleybrook to help people to understand how God wired them and how they can, um, you know, really lean into the gifts that he's given them. So if you haven't taken growth track, uh, I would really encourage you to, to check that out because um, this is what it's all about is helping you find uh, what God has made you passionate about how he's wired you. But there is one specific what that Solomon thought was important enough to address in Psalm 127. And so it's worth it for us to unpack it here before we leave today. Um, So in verses three through five, we read, children are heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So what is something worth building? Solomon gives us his wise recommendation, building the next generation. And why does he advise this? If we remember back when we talked about Genesis, God said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Through our work, we are fruitful and we subdue the earth. But God also wants us to multiply. God designed us to be in a family and to be in a community with other families. And it's the reason you and I were born in the first place. Now, I do need to put a disclaimer here up front and say that God does not call every person to have kids. And I understand that this can even be a painful topic for some of you. Um, But thankfully, God can use us to build his kingdom and fulfill the mandate in Genesis in a variety of ways. And for some of us, that might mean not having children of our own. The Apostle Paul, who wrote wrote the book of Colossians and much of the New Testament, uh, was an incredible builder of the early church, uh, was an example of somebody who didn't have kids of his own. But he did participate in preparing the next generation by uh, mentoring younger followers of Jesus like Timothy. So whether you're a parent or not, uh, we can all invest and lean into building the next generation in a way that honors the name of Jesus. Um, So how do we do this? Solomon leaves a powerful metaphor for what it means to be given the responsibility to to, um, prepare the next generation. He, He refers to children as arrows, and there are three important aspects to ensuring an arrow fulfills its purpose well. I'll go through them quickly. Uh, The the first is sharpening. Uh, Before an arrow can be used, it has to be formed and shaped, and its point needs to be sharpened. The home and church is a primary place that God uses to sharpen our character and our faith. In order for a young person to be able to pierce through a world filled with chaos, lies, and temptations, we need to raise them up to know the who and the how. To know that Jesus is the foundation of life and that that to live a life worthy of his name is done by keeping his word. The second aspect of archery is proper aim. Uh, Even a sharp arrow is useless unless it's aimed in the right direction. And we live in a society that is so eager for everyone to be happy that we never want to tell anyone else what to do. And sometimes that translates to our kids. Um, And since we desire everybody to do what they want, they end up feeling directionless. And so the goal of the home and the church should be to have people who can point us in the right direction, to point us towards Jesus and help us discover who God made us to be. So how do you aim? Uh, this past month, uh, I tuned into some of the Olympics that were happening in Tokyo, and I watched some of the archery events. And one of the things I noticed as the cameras uh, zoomed in on the archer's face was just how intense their focus was on the target in front of them. Their eyes did not waver as they prepared to take their shot. And just like those archers, where our eyes are pointed matters. The next generation is looking at 
where their parents are looking, where their mentors are looking. And if our eyes are wavering off the target of Jesus, they're going to notice that. So our gaze has to be focused and fixed on Jesus and not the things of this world. And another thing I noticed while watching the Olympics is that new this year, they had the heart rate displayed of each archer um, on, the, on the TV. And the way that they did it, they actually have these special cameras that point at the archer's face and they detect the change in coloration in their face, like so their blood. And they can extrapolate their, their heart rate from that, which is pretty crazy. Um, but why is the heart rate important? Other than being entertaining for the viewers, um, the heartbeat um, is, or your heart rate, translates to how steady your breathing is. And so if your heart rate is higher, your breathing is heavier, and it becomes harder to take a more precise shot. And just like those archers, the heartbeat of us as mentors and parents matters. You know, a heart that trust in itself or someone other than God will soon be shaken, and that's going to trickle and impact the next generation, our kids. We have to breathe in the oxygen of God's word every day and let that steady our heart in his will and his promises in order to effectively mentor the next generation to be built on God's word. Lastly, an arrow is launched. Even a sharp arrow pointed in the right direction uh, is useless unless it's actually launched. And God has given us the family and church as a place to do that, to send each one of us out into the world to achieve the task for which we have been intended and to run the race that is set before us. You know, here at Valleybrook, we consider this to be a critical part of our ministry, uh, to sharpen, aim, and launch the next generation to know Jesus and to make him known in a world that so desperately needs the light of his truth and his love. And some of you might feel like God is calling you to take part of this worthy task of building the next generation to help them grow in your faith. So if, if God is, is giving you that inkling, I encourage you to connect with the, any of our student or children um, leaders here um, because you know, there's a great way that you can take a step in the purpose that God has called you to in your life. Now, as I close today, I think it's important to note that even with a sharpened tip, a true aim, and a successful launch, we're all human. And sometimes arrows are blown by the wind after they're released, going in a direction the archer never intended. And sometimes that's true of the kids in our lives as well. You know, the reality is we all end up missing the mark. The Greek word for sin in the New Testament literally means missing the mark. But even after our loved ones miss the mark, we have an opportunity to not leave them abandoned and continue to share God's love with them. You see, God did this for each one of us. You know, even though we miss the mark, he pursues us and wants us to be set back on the firm foundation of his love. Now, some of you listening to this today might be thinking, it's too late for me. I've missed the mark one too many times. Or maybe you're thinking, I've collapsed too many bridges in my life to be useful to God. The wonderful news is that no matter how insignificant or unimportant you think you are, 
God decided that you were so important that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins so that you could be with him for eternity. And the blessing of that doesn't just happen in eternity, it happens here in this life as well. When we accept Jesus into our life, we're given the Holy Spirit who allows us to will and act, to focus our lives on God, to build our lives on God and to follow his word. This is how we live a life that matters. And it starts with accepting Jesus into our lives. So I want, before we close today, I wanna give anyone who has not accepted Jesus into their life an opportunity to do that, to start building your life on a foundation that matters, on the who that matters, on Jesus. So I'm gonna invite us all to bow our heads and pray. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I would just like to lead you in a prayer this morning um, to give you some words that you can pray. The words themselves aren't special. It's what matters is what's going on in your heart. But you start by saying, dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Now I commit my life to following him. And Lord, for all of us, I just ask that in your power, you make your word so real and true to us, Lord, that you draw our attention to you as the foundation for our lives. Lord, may we be encouraged that no matter where we are, what we're doing, that we can still build our lives on you, that we can still follow your word. Lord, I just ask that you give us the strength to do that. That your spirit breathe in the desire to pursue you and the things of you. And God, as we go from this place today, I ask that you go with us and that with our attention firmly focused on you, that we can build our lives in a way that the world around us sees you, Jesus. That we could be a city on a hill in a world that needs your light. And God, I wanna pray over the next generation, Lord, that you bring all of us to a place where we can equip them to know you, to know your love and your truth, to root their lives in your word and your love. So God, I just ask that you, you build up leaders to guide the next generation and that we all can ultimately build a life that matters on a foundation set by you. So God, as we close with this song, I just pray that it can be a declaration that we will build our lives on you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.